Uh, thank you that you are here with us today. Now I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears to be able to see you and hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you here today. Seriously, I'm not kidding. I was hanging out with my uncle yesterday and some family, and he was like, wow, you're preaching at four services tomorrow? Glad I'm not you. And I was no, I'm glad. I'm glad to be here today. Hey, do you guys ever remember your dreams? Do you remember your dreams? See, I never do. But uh, I had a dream about three years ago that I'm wishing I could actually forget. It was, it was a pretty disturbing dream. I think it's probably more like a nightmare. And I think through the dream, God was showing me something. Actually, God was moving in a way to try to heal me. Uh, so I want to tell you about it this morning. It uh, started, I was standing in uh, the high school, in my high school parking lot. And when I had the dream, it had been six years since I graduated uh, from that high school. So I was standing in the high school parking lot, and on the other side of the school fence were David and Owen, standing by a city bus stop. And I looked down in my hand, and I had a gun. And then I started running towards David and Owen. They saw me coming, got this scared look on their face, and started running the opposite direction down the road. Now, I don't own a gun. I've, uh, I've never shot a pistol before, so I don't know really what I was doing, but I just started chasing after these guys. They turned a corner, I think, to try to get away from me down a rural road. And uh, by the time I got to the corner, they were a long ways off, and they took another turn. We were about to take another turn, and then they'd be out of sight. So I stopped, aimed, and then fired. Okay, and then the next scene in my dream, I'm driving my parents' old 86 baby blue Dodge Caravan with their old green trailer attached to the back. This thing was a pretty sweet ride. It even had the white wall tires on it. Yeah, they, they made me drive that to school sometimes. The, uh, but in the back of this green trailer, there was a blue tarp. And in my dream, I didn't see it, but I knew what was under it. And then I started panicking. Oh, no, this isn't happening. I didn't just do this. What am I going to do now? Do I tell somebody? If I tell somebody, this is going to ruin my life. They're going to lock me up. Do I just hide it? Do I try to hide this? Do I keep it all secret? And then I'm going to spend my rest of my life tormented by this. And someone's probably going to find out. And then the next scene in my dream, I'm standing on the side of my parents' house digging a hole in the ground. And then I woke up. And I was like, Phew. it was just a dream. It was all a dream. And it freaked me out. It might, it might actually be freaking you guys out right now. Why is, the, why is the youth minister guy having dreams about, you know, killing people? Uh, but I, uh, I think God was showing me something through this dream. Like I said, he was trying to heal me. Uh, check this out. I'm going to read this verse again. From Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Do you notice that connection that Jesus makes there between murder and anger? It's very interesting. Now, this passage I just read to you comes from a collection of Jesus' teachings that uh, we now call the Sermon on the Mount. It takes up what, three chapters of the book of Matthew. And it's, in many ways, a state of the union address that Jesus was giving to Israel. He went up on a hillside, in part probably because the acoustics were better, but also in the posture of a rabbi teaching him as a prophet speaking God's word and as a king addressing his people about how things were going in Israel in those times. 
And if there was media coverage back in those days, like there is today in American presidential politics, where we, you know, we have the annual State of the Union address, and then there's all the post-speech analysis and synopsis, back in ABC or CNN studios, it would sound something like this. Things aren't looking good. <laughs> Jesus is standing before Israel of his day saying, you, you who are God's chosen people, you whom he made covenant with to be with you and to never leave you, he gave his law to you. You know him better than anyone else, and you've missed it. You missed what God cares most about. And so then in this sermon, Jesus calls them back to being truly Israel. And in the specific passage that I read to you, Jesus kind of uses that uh, rhythmic style. He starts hitting repetition. And this is an oral culture. Use a lot of storytelling. So that repetition, it would help people remember. And I think it was really important to Jesus that the people got what he was saying. Because Israel in those times was falling on. Well, things, it was a rough time for them in the socio-political circumstances of their day. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. So this repetition, Jesus keeps on saying, you've heard it said to those of ancient times. And then he covers some five topics over the next almost chapter. Uh, The anger, the issues of adultery, loving your enemies, resisting evil. But I say to you, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, but I say to you over and over again. So you've heard what it was said to those of ancient times through the law from Moses. Do not murder. And if you murder, you will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, if you're even angry with your brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. Now, sometimes when I read this passage... I think to myself, Jesus, aren't you kind of overreacting just a little bit? I mean, isn't this a little extreme, that strong connection between anger and murder? But then there's times where I read it, and I mean, you ever have times where you hear something or you read something, and it's like you may not even fully understand it, but there's something about it you go, you know, that's kind of true. And I've kind of experienced that, like that dream I just told you. I kind of experienced it then. I mean, have you ever had times where somebody's hurt you or someone hurt someone you care about, And, I mean, even just thinking about the person or the situation, you can kind of feel all the pain again. And it's just kind of like, ah, I mean, the person that could have done it was a family member, could have been a friend of yours, an ex in your life, someone that's that guy at work, you know, that guy every day that you show up, and it's just like, ah, even the thought of him. And it could have happened years ago. And you wish that there was something you could do about it, but it seems like every time you're with them, it just never, it just gets worse, it never gets worked out. And you wish maybe you could even just get rid of them, just do something. Now, it's not like... You're going to go and get a gun and chase them down and shoot them and then bury them in the backyard. But, but some people have. I mean, Moses, Moses did. He uh, had that Egyptian that was given a Hebrew slave a hard time, and he looked both ways and killed him and buried him. But um, I'm going to check my notes here. I just lost where I was going. Hang with me. Oh, but uh, there are times where, I mean, we might say that that's murder, right? What I just said about Moses. But that's, that's kind of an extreme situation. But what if we said that that's anger acted out in one way? And we find other ways, don't we? I mean, why do we call it character assassination? Or what about killing a relationship uh, by, you know, giving the silent treatment or getting revenge or kind of withdrawing ourselves, not being vulnerable anymore? It's still death. Death of a relationship, but still death. 
But I want to pause just for a moment here before I go any further because I want to say something to those of you who maybe are a little bit like me and at some point in your life you got it ingrained in you that to be a Christian is to be nice. To follow Jesus is kind of to have it all together and in certain situations you kind of got to respond by being nice about things. Uh, And I'm not so much talking about the kind of nice where it's like, you know, I don't... uh, smoke, drink, or chew, or date the girls that do, kind of nice, but more, more the kind of nice where it's like, things are going hard. I, I'm hurting right now. Uh, maybe my marriage is on the rocks. Things aren't going well at work. I'm struggling with an addiction. But when we show up at church, or we get around other people, it's kind of like, you know, we get the, hey, how you doing? All good. Things are all right. Things are good. Fantastic. Praise Jesus. We kind of do that kind of thing. Even putting up that front and being nice when we're in front of the people or around the people that have, that have hurt us. And uh, I've looked in the Bible for this kind of clean, pristine Christianity, but I haven't been able to find it. I mean, particularly in the Psalms or in the laments or in the places where there's cries for justice, like this is a Psalm 109. Let my assailants be put to shame, the psalmist prays. May my accusers be clothed with dishonor. May they be wrapped in their own shame as in a mantle. Or in Psalm 22, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? I mean, these are words Jesus himself used. This is the Jesus who, in his anguish, sweat blood, who wept for his people, who turned over the tables and the money changers and drove people out of the temple because they were trying to use the worship of God to turn a prophet. I mean, they didn't hang Jesus on the cross because he was, well, too nice. So I don't hear in this passage, be nice. Don't get angry. What I hear is recognize your anger because it has power. Power on the scale of murder. The capacity to be able to kill and to destroy. So acknowledge it and then do something about it. But what? That's actually a good question to ask. What? What do you do when you feel angry or when you're in conflict with someone? How do you find yourself responding in those kind of situations? Because here's the punchline, and Jesus jumps right into it in the next verse from the passage for today. So, when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court. And it continues on from there. Take care of this now is what I hear. Don't sit and worship and like everything's going to be okay. Don't be nice. Go quickly and reconcile. But now what will this reconciliation look like? What, is thing, what, what does a relationship look like after forgiveness? Jesus doesn't elaborate too much on this in this passage, although he does in other places. But I think it's important to say that forgiveness looks different in different situations, right? I mean, there may be a time of interpersonal relationships between a couple people, and sometimes there are situations where there's abuse or violence, and the relationship may not be able to be fully restored, at least not in the short term. Sometimes you can't go back home. Sometimes you've got to protect yourself and your kids. Sometimes there's that kind of forgiveness, and I experience this often, where I feel like God's telling me, Greg, you've got to forgive yourself. I'm not speaking these words of condemnation over you for past mistakes you made, past sins that I've already forgiven. 
I'm not the one that's chewing you out now for a regret that you have in your life, for blaming you for what happened. So release yourself, Greg. Forgive yourself. Sometimes we can be pretty hard on ourselves, yeah? And then there's those times where maybe uh, you got, you've experienced something in your life and you felt like God wasn't there. And you're going, where, where were you, God? And we need to move through a forgiveness of, of, of God, God's self. And then the Bible is constantly touching on issues of, like, corporate forgiveness, like on a national, international level. Uh, Jesus actually even alludes to it in this passage, that last piece where it says, um, if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. That word for hell is actually Gehenna. It doesn't mean much to us now, but back in those days, to the first hearers, Gehenna was a place that they knew. It was actually a valley right outside of Jerusalem, the Valley of Gehenna. And this valley has a long history to it that I won't get into all fully now. But actually in Old Testament times, uh, the world superpower of the day invaded Israel. And in destroying the city, they threw a lot of, this was Babylon, threw a lot of the dead bodies, Israelite bodies, into this valley of Gehenna. Burned them, leaving them exposed, which was a shameful way to die. And Jesus is touching on that imagery to warn them, the Israel of his day, look. If you continue to walk in the way that you're walking, if you continue to use religion to exploit and exclude people, particularly the poor and the marginalized, if you continue to chase after the false idols that you're following that aren't going to help you in times of distress, if you continue to respond to the world superpower of your day, the Roman Empire, with your different multiple forms of political revolt, it's going to happen to you. You're going to end up in the Valley of Gehenna, but this time it's going to be at the hands of Rome. Now. Corporate type or national type of reconciliation and forgiveness, this stuff, I'm amazed at how complex and how significant, but how complex this gets. I mean, I think of situations like South Africa or Rwanda. I mean, even in a church community when there's conflict kind of uh, in a corporate way. So this stuff gets pretty challenging. Like, how, how does a nation forgive when in a time of war or when it's attacked in a way where innocent people are killed? Uh, but Jesus is touching on this in this passage. But forgiveness looks different in different situations. When I woke up that morning pretty freaked out from that dream I just told you about, I mean, I, I was up in my sweat sitting on the couch going, God, what am I supposed to make of this? And I felt like God was telling me, Greg, you're still holding on to anger towards David and Owen and feeling shame about it all, and I want to free you from it. But then what was I supposed to do? This was, I was down in California when I had the dream. These guys I hadn't seen for six years. That was up in Washington. Was I supposed to, like, track them down and find their phone number? Which, actually, I've had experiences where God has, I felt like, told me, you need to go talk to the person specifically. Usually those are people that I'm still in a relationship with. But in this situation, I felt like God was saying, I just want you to pray through it. So I prayed that morning. I said, David and Owen, I forgive you for what you did to me. I'm trying to remember. Did I tell you, did I tell you guys what they did to me? I totally forgot that part. You're sitting here going, you're sitting here going, what? So let me tell you that part, and then I'm going to come back. You guys got to kind of clue me in here. I'm kind of standing up here on myself. Okay, David and Owen, it was my senior year in high school, and those two guys had spread a rumor about me. Uh, and I went to a small enough school where eventually the rumor got back to me. And I won't go into all the details of it now, but the, uh, the rumor wasn't, well, let's just say it wasn't real nice. And the... Uh, those guys, well, I didn't really care what they thought about me, right? You know, I wasn't really worried about it. And I had dealt with it back then. I confronted Owen about it in the back of our physics class. And 
And I did it in a way that kind of embarrassed him in front of other people, so I kind of one-upped him and gave him the old, you know, touche, and the rumor was over. But, but why was I still having this dream? So back to when I woke up that morning. I was praying about it, and, and uh, I prayed, God, David Owen, I forgive you for what you did to me, for that rumor that you spread about me. I'm sorry that I've held it against you for so long. And I give up carrying out my own brand of justice against you. And I release you to the judgment of God. And now that's, that's the, there's lots of definitions of forgiveness, but that's the one I want to leave with you this morning, that, that to forgive is to give for God to judge. And in that, letting go of our own attempts to try to bring justice or judgment on the person that's hurt us. Now, forgiveness is pretty challenging stuff. At least it has been in my life. Uh, it's been hard for me to forgive in a lot of situations because I feel like, you know, there's times where they haven't even acknowledged that they've done something and apologized. Or even if someone has apologized, it's kind of that desire that I, I mean, I'll admit I have it, where I want them to feel the pain that they made me feel. Or there's those times where I don't want to forgive them because it's like, I feel like if I do, they're going to get away with it. And then they might do it to somebody else or they might do it to me again. And then there's those times, honestly, where I, uh, I don't want to give them the satisfaction of knowing that, that what they think and what they do would matter that much to me, that they would have that kind of power in my life. Or there's times where I've, I've experienced stuff that I get frustrated about or angry about, and I kind of chew myself out. I'm like, Greg, this shouldn't bother you. That's not that big a deal. And so then I never really get the opportunity to move through it. But what I hear in this passage and what I've experienced in my life is, is that forgiveness, although it's hard, is crucial. Well, let me see if I can give you a little example of why. Um, I think I can still pull this off because most of you guys are sitting close enough together. Let me see your right hands. Give me a little wave. Okay, now take that right hand and reach over if you've got someone on your right to grab onto their left wrist. Now just hold on to it if you can. They may be out of, this may not be able to work for everybody if you're sitting on your own. Okay, now it would be more accurate if I actually had you grab onto maybe like their neck or something because the person that you're holding onto <laughs> is the person that has hurt you or hurt somebody you care about. And you're upset at them right now. I mean, I know you love them right now, but hypothetically, you're upset at them. Okay? Now, um, I'm going to do it this way. All of you guys, all the men here, all the boys, um, I want you to try to stand up and come up here. Come and see. Come on, stand up. You can stand up in church. Come up and see. Come up. Can you get up here? It's a little hard to move, huh? A little hard to move. Kind of a little stuck. Some of you guys, you're not sitting next to any women, so this doesn't work. work for me. Okay, you can sit down. You can let go of each other. For those of you that had a little trouble moving, maybe some of you others saw it, to withhold forgiveness is to hold on to the pain, is to hold on to that person that hurt you, some of the shame and some of the guilt of it all. And it limits our ability to be able to move and to be able to live and love and to experience freedom and in a lot of ways to experience the invitations that God has given us and the things that God wants to do in our lives. And in a lot of ways it actually creates a lot of space for the enemy to, to lie to us about who we are, about who they are, and to carry out his evil schemes. And, I, and my experience is that God wants to heal us in those places and to restore us. But sometimes, honestly, I think we're afraid. Afraid that if we forgive, we might feel the pain of it all again if it's been a long time, or that the person might get away with it, or that maybe God doesn't have the desire or isn't maybe even capable of being the judge of God's creation. So we step in, and we try to take care of it ourselves. But I feel like I hear that most frequent command of Scripture 
where God says to us over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because I am with you. And I know. I know when the mere sparrow falls to the ground. I know even the number of hairs on your head. I know the burdens that you are carrying. So come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me and I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. So release this situation and this person over to me. Let go of it and let me move in it and bring healing. Uh, I'd like to pray for us now. There may be some of you that uh, this is significant for you. and You may be feeling anger towards somebody or be in a situation of conflict. Uh, I'd like to pray for us. And then Nancy's going to come and play a piece on the piano. It's going to create a little space for you to be able to talk to God about it uh, where you're sitting right now or have a, a, a time in prayer. Uh, so take this time if it can be helpful for you. God, thank you uh, that you are here with us and that you uh, care so much about the things that we've dealt with in our lives. So I pray now, right now, Lord, that you would uh, move through our midst with your spirit and you would speak to us, God, about uh, a situation about a particular person, Lord, that you would like to heal, a relationship that you would like to heal right now in our lives. And maybe we've brought this before you already, God, but we still feel it. We still feel that frustration, that anger. So God, I pray that you would fill us up with your spirit, that we may be able to forgive as you forgive, to love as you love. Right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.